My name is Paul. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, so glad you're here with us. As we get into today's message, I, I was remember, remembering uh, a, a memory of a time where one of my wife's friends was down from, from up north. And northerners, you might be one, maybe you can really relate to this, but northerners more than people who've lived in Florida for a while, they have a natural fear of the ocean. And there's just this sense of like every six feet, there's a great white shark ready to consume me. And we, we were going to the beach with her friend, and I felt like her friend's anxiety kind of wore on to Tia a little bit. And being the loving, compassionate husband that I was, once we were all in the water, I had a decision that was made in my mind. Yep, I'm going to go underwater. My hands will become the teeth of a shark, and they are going to grab a hold of her thigh with all the strength that I could and just scare my wife, as I, I love to do as a kind and compassionate husband. And so we're down in the Naples area swimming and doing this, and I go under, I make my move, and man, the shark attacks, got her, feel her like fly out of the water. And then I come up already laughing, trying to not drown on the water because I'm laughing underwater already. But when I come up, I make a realization. The shark did not get its intended target. (laughs) I do not have a hold of my wife's leg. (laughs) Exactly. The terrified northerner I have now traumatized. And now I have to deal with the awkwardness of I I do not have the right target in my hands here. Um, And I was just reminded of that memory because there's this thing of like, if you're going to grab a hold of something, you sure better know what you're going to grab a hold of. Like in anything in underwater in life, like what you move towards, you need to recognize this is what I'm going after and this is how I attain it. Because if you move through your life with clouded vision, if you move through your life without recognizing this is the path I'm on and this is the destination it will take me to if I continue in these ways, then you will end up grabbing a hold of something that you did not intend to have. And today we're talking about purpose. We're in week number three of a series called What's Next? Because there's a reality that in our life, each one of us individually, there's a sequence of events that we need to move through. That, That God, first of all, he calls us to himself, to, to know him. And that was week one, knowing God. That's the foundation that everything else is built on. Because if you try to figure out the direction for your life before you figure out your relationship with your heavenly father, it's not going to make sense. And in fact, some of the offers that are blessings that he has for you, they will seem like curses because if you don't yet have that correct relationship with him, you're not going to see things the way that he sees them. And so we're, we're called to first know God. We're secondly called to, to find community within the body of Christ. We, we cannot live a biblical faith. Listen to me. Hear the whole sentence. You cannot live a biblical faith without being connected to a church body. You were designed to live in community with other people. The New Testament is clear. You're a part of the body, and when one part is missing, the whole thing suffers. So you were designed to be in community. If you missed that message last week, it's an it's a important message. Go back and watch it online t- sometime this week. This week is about discovering our purpose. And this is another biblical truth that within you, there are things that God wants to accomplish through your life in someone else's life. And I believe there's things he wants to accomplish just in your life as well. But I want to kind of set our eyes on the fact that you're supposed to have an impact on someone else. And this is one of the core things that we believe our job as a church. It's one of the core things that we try to help people find. We want them to know God, find community, and discover their purpose. Because once we have our purpose, it's not just that we get things done for the kingdom of God, which is important in and of itself. But when we discover our purpose, 
There is a better sense of peace. There is a better sense of fulfillment. There is a better sense of joy when we have found the thing that God has called us to work on. And so I want that for you because I believe that is where your joy resides. Is when, even when things are difficult, if you know this is what I'm supposed to be doing, you don't mind the difficulty. And so I want to I help you guys find your purpose. And there's some things that I believe become obstacles to purpose for us. And we're going to be studying Romans chapter 12, verse 2 today. And th- this chapter, it starts off talking about living our life as a, as a living sacrifice to God. The way that we live matters. And then on the other side of the passage we're going to study, it, it talks about the body of Christ and being connected to each other. And, and in verse 2 of Romans chapter 12, and we can put that up on the screen, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now we're going to start off studying this section that says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world. Because when we think of the behaviors and the customs of the world, we think probably of like the, the outer edge crazy that we see other people do. And we're like, we're not, we're not crazy like them. We're not as extreme as them. And so that's just talking about those edge things. But I want to tell you that there's things about the way that we live our life that just become so commonplace that this is how we interact with people that we don't even think about it. We haven't looked at it through the lens of scripture. And so we just completely miss things. When, when I was a youth pastor early when I started in ministry, I had this one week where I challenged our students to go do something specifically good for someone else and then come back in and tell us a report about it next week and be ready to share something. And it seemed like a really good idea at the time, like the kids would understand what they were supposed to do. And when we got back to the next week, one of the girls, she's just the sweetest thing, like sweetest little girl, like so kind, just wants to do good by people. And she was like excited to tell me what she did. And I was like, all right. Let me, let me hear the story. Like, you must have, like, saved someone from a burning building. Like, you're so excited to tell this story. Like, you're the first hand up. And she's like, my friend at school didn't do their homework, so I let her copy all of my homework. <laughs> and I'm like, appreciate the effort. <laughs> not what we're aiming at. Because not only did your friend learn nothing at school that week because of that, I don't think you learned anything at church the week before either. So we're going to work on both of those things. And it was one of those things that just, she hadn't, she just saw, I'm helping with a friend. And it was such a common thing for the kids to just copy off each other's work that she didn't even think about the fact that it's cheating. Like, I'm just helping somebody. And and there's, there's this truth that the customs, the behaviors all around us, they become so commonplace that we often miss even analyzing them. To say, should this behavior be part of someone who's part of the family of God? Should, should these actions, should these thoughts, should I be part of this conversation or should I walk out of the room when it starts? They're, they're talking about someone who is not present and everybody does it. Everybody, you know, it, gossip is a mean word. We're just, we're problem solving without the person who can solve the problem is what we're doing. I, I mean, it's so easy to be in those situations and just even being present without objecting. Man, I want to tell you, it, it's one of those things we need to start to analyze, and look, because it's easy to pick on the girl who, you know, copied homework. But we, we see there's these other areas, there's these other customs and behaviors that are just so natural to the world around us. I want to encourage you. God, need, God would want to speak to you. God would want to change your mind. And if you would study his scripture, if you would listen to his voice, if you would ask him for wisdom, because he gives it to those who ask, if you would ask him, I believe that he'd have some things to say to you, and he might shine a light on some things that you weren't ready to see yet, but once he shows them to you, you'll probably say, yeah, I need to, I need to change that. I need to grow in that. Uh, because 
when I am living in the behaviors and the customs of the world, it's going to mean that I'm missing out on some of the blessings and the callings of God. When, when we describe the behaviors and the customs of the world, I want to kind of add some clarity because I, I, I'd say that when we say behaviors and customs, okay, what does that mean? Well, first is like the confusion that I talked about with a student. Uh, because I think there's a lot of confusion about what's right and wrong these days. And that confusion naturally has bled into the church. And before we get into like the church bashing thing, which I'm, is not where I'm going to go, but I want to tell you, every church should have some of that confusion in it. Because if you don't have that confusion, in it, then you don't have new believers in the church. You don't have people who are still being worked on. There should be some of that coming from the church. It just shouldn't be coming from people who've been a Christian for 10, 20 years, where they are at odds with what Scripture clearly teaches. And there are things within the church that I'll tell you, there, there's some difference of opinion that's allowed. But there's some things that are very clear within Scripture, that, that we, we do not bear false witness. I mean, it's very clear that lying should not be part of the family of God. And, and gossip as well. Gossip, it's very clear that it should not be part of the family of God. And there's areas that have become very confused, but I, I believe that when we allow God to work, that he provides clarity, but it comes from studying his word. Uh, I, I want to read you this excerpt from Adam Clark, who is, is a biblical scholar. He, he wrote a commentary on the entire Bible. I mean, when, just goes into, a commentary goes into extreme depth studying each verse of Scripture. And, it, and it's very beneficial when you want to study and get a little deeper in Scripture. But listen to this sentence that he wrote um, connected to this whole concept of not following the customs and behaviors of the world. He said, Pride, luxury, vanity, extravagance in dress, and riotous living prevail now as they did then, then being when the scriptures were written, and are as unworthy of a Christian's pursuit as they are, as they are injurious to his soul. Now, I, before you think that I'm getting political, this wasn't, his statement wasn't written last week or last month or last year. His statement there was written in 1760. Man, it, it sounds like it could be applied to our time because the issues with sin, the issues with behavior, the issues with conflict within the church, they really haven't changed much. The things that Scripture wrote about at the day that it was penned by the Holy Spirit, they still apply to us today. And, I mean, Adam Clark's study on this, I mean, pride, luxury, vanity, extravagance in dress, riotous living, they prevail now as they did then and are as unworthy as a Christian's pursuit as they are injurious to his soul. I really like the way that he described it because when we think about the behaviors and the customs of the, the world, we often just think, well, it's just kind of this other way of doing it. And we don't recognize that it, it does damage to our soul, to who we are at the true most point of our being. And when that's damaged, that's, that's when we lose our peace. That's when we lose our joy. That's when we lose our perspective that God is guiding us somewhere. And when we, when we think of sin, when we think of doing things in the wrong way, we, we often there's oh, you know, it's just fun. Well, it's not, it's not about a fun factor. It's about, it, it, it's actually causing injury to who you are supposed to be and who you're supposed to become. And when you're injured, when you're not able to be who you are called to be, I'm going to tell you, you miss opportunities. You miss opportunities for you. You miss opportunities to encourage and strengthen your family, to impact your friends, to be used by, by God in the lives of people that you haven't even met yet in this community. When you're moving through your life injured because you've just continued to copy the behaviors and the custom of the world, being injured means missed opportunities. And as a church, we don't want to miss opportunities because that means we've missed people. 
And so when we describe this, I, I want to tell you, you know, we, we need to clarify where there's confusion because God does have specific instruction to our life. One of the other behaviors and customs of the world is, is the issue of comparison. Comparison happens a lot. Uh, I'll give you something to look for as you go through Cape Coral, and you can find it. Um, it it's called truck shaming or Jeep shaming. There, there's this reality that it happens. If you see a big truck drive into a parking lot, and there's a little truck parked there, and there can be 100 open spaces, you will park right next to the little truck <laughs> because he's showing that little truck that his tires are too small. And, and you'll see the reverse happen. If there's an empty parking lot, and there's a little truck that pulls in, and there's a big truck, they're going to park far away from it. And because they, they, don't, they don't want the comparison because it's a natural thing. It, you, you'll, you'll spot that. You'll see it happen. You'll watch a Jeep pull in with their big tires. They'll see a little Jeep in the park right next to it. And you'll be like, Paul was right. I see it. Um, but comparison, it happens not just with our vehicles. It happens with so many other things. It happens with clothes. Like if I could afford those clothes, I, I would feel better. I'm going to tell you, the people you see on Instagram, they don't look like they look on Instagram either. Don't compare yourselves to them. It's all fake. It's all posing. The, if, if I had more money, if I had as much money as they did, if I had the position that they had, if I had the spouse that they had, then things would be better. I'm going to tell you, if you can't find peace within your heart, nothing external is going to bring you peace there. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ is going to bring the peace that your heart cries out for. And until you get that fixed, comparison, it, it's not going to help you. And, and this draw into comparison, I want, I want to put a spotlight on it because it's unhealthy for you. If you feel the compulsion to compare, 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 look at what they have, look what I have. If that's where you're living your, your life, I'm going to tell you, God would want to heal that in your heart to where your joy is found in a more secure location than what you have versus what someone else has. The, the other thing is this counterfeit calling that we, that we see the world slide into, and especially men, we have this natural gravity towards believing that our occupation is always our calling. And I want to tell you, your occupation is not always your calling. Your occupation is an opportunity for you to glorify God. Your occupation is a place where you should work hard as though you're working for the Lord, but your occupation isn't necessarily your calling. I can tell you straight out, there are some things that are your calling, that if you're a husband, you have a calling to encourage and lift up your wife and love her the way that Christ loves the church. That if you're, you're a father, you have a calling to make an impact on those kids' lives so that they grow up knowing the Lord and loving the Lord. You have a calling to do that. There are specific things that you have callings for, but your career is not always a calling. Uh, your family, I'll tell you this, men, your family want much more than you than, than just finances. In fact, they would trade the finances in the better situation to have more of your time, to have more of your interaction. That's a calling that you have if you have a family. We, we settle because th this is what will happen. You can work for the same place for 45 years. For 45 years, you can never take a sick day. For 45 years, you could never take a vacation. You could be the best employee that there ever was. But on the 46th year, when you die, what's going to happen is, okay, Frank, you can have his office, but I get his office chair. And they move forward. Because that is not your home, that is not your family, that is not the purpose of your life to push a company forward. God has so much more for us than just work. And, and women, the same is true for you. You have callings that are specific and above the, just your career or just these temporal circumstances that we move through. We have a calling, and, and I believe that one of the ways that we identify what our calling is is we see spiritual fruit come from the pursuit of it. And some of you guys, as I say this, you might say, okay, I understand the truth of the calling. I understand the problem with, with the, 
the behaviors and the customs of this world, but how do I move into that area where I'm pursuing God's calling because I didn't find it as a child and it just feels like it might be too late to find it. And I want to take you through just a couple of examples of where people began to find and understand and follow the calling that God has put on their life because sometimes it does happen early in their life. And it, it happens, I'm going to go through the, these four different ways. And the first way is the call from birth. Like some people do find it there. The prophet Jeremiah uh, in chapter 1 verses 4 through 8 It says, the Lord of the word came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go everywhere. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you to. Now, now, first of all, for any of the young people in the room, I want you to hear with clarity that God calls young people to make an impact on their nation, on their city, on their family. That, that God calls them where they are, that even when they feel like, as the prophet Jeremiah responded to God, which is it's a strange thing to argue with God, like when you have the audible voice going on. But I want to tell you, the compulsion of I'm not ready enough, it was so strong in his heart that he, he said, I'm too young, like I can't do this. And, and God's response is, You're, you need to do everything that I ask you to. And some people find that calling from a young age, and they, they, they figure out how to follow, follow through. And I want to tell you, like in your heart, don't discredit the calling that you felt as a four-year-old, as a five-year-old, as a six-year-old child. God often puts on the heart of children what they're supposed to do with their life. And specifically for us, we, we got to dedicate four uh, little children today at the 11 o'clock service to the Lord and pray for them. And you can see that. We'll post some pictures later this week. Uh, four little girls, super cute dresses. You want to see it. It was awesome. Um, but we want those children to grow up loving the Lord from a young age, knowing that they have a purpose. And some kids find that at a very young age. And, and that, that, that's the truth of how it goes. Some of us have a growing awareness. This is the second way. That, that we did hear something as a kid, but man, it just seemed like that dream was far-fetched for most of our young adult life. Like in the life of Joseph, in the book of Genesis, we see this progression that he went through. That as a young man, he had this dream in his heart that was from God. And he shared it with his brothers about how he was going to be greater than his brother, greater even than his father. And it made his brother so mad that they, they wanted to kill him. They, they kind of started a plan to kill him, ended up selling him into slavery. He was sell, sold into Potiphar's household. You remember, you saw the movie one time. You may have read the book, but you guys are familiar with this enough. He ended up in prison for a long time until eventually God propelled him to a place of importance in Egypt. And when he was face-to-face with his brothers later and had the power to put them to death if he wanted to, he said, what you meant for harm, God is going to use for good. And the dream that he had as a young man, it finally did come around. But he didn't understand it until he was much older. And I just want to encourage you from that, that while Joseph was in jail, it's, it's certain that that dream and that vision from God felt far off, felt like he had lost it. And if for you, you grew up in the church, but you, you strayed away from a while, I want you to know your heavenly father is not looking at you in disgust. He's not looking at you in anger. He has not rejected you. In fact, he calls you back home. He runs to you as he sees you taking those steps towards him, and he receives you back into his family with purpose and calling and his presence in your life. And just like Joseph, sometimes it feels like that dream is too far away, but God brings it back to life. And so maybe 
Maybe you felt like you heard from God, but you've had this growing awareness of what you're supposed to do. You, you got a glimpse of it as a child, but it's grown, and now it's time to see that purpose come to life. One of the other ways that we can discover God's purposes in our life is seeing an open door and choosing to walk through it. Esther would be an example of this. In the book of Esther, and it's another familiar story, Esther was a Jewish woman in a Babylonian-ruled area, and she was the, the wife of the king. But she didn't have privileges like we would think of them. She, if she entered into the throne room, she could be put to death if she wasn't summoned there. And the Jewish people, th- there was a decree that was made that, 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 that was going to lead to their destruction. And so in corresponding, she made this decision, I have to risk my life to enter in and try to make a plea for my people. And, and we read the story and we really s- kind of see with hindsight bias of, of, of course God's going to show up. Of course this is going to be okay. But can you, can you imagine what it felt like for her? I mean, she, she asked for people to fast and pray because she was scared of what might happen. I mean, the valiant part of us says, well, of course I would walk through the door and try to speak up for my people. But I think the human side says, man, there would be worry, there would be stress. I wouldn't be able to sleep. I wouldn't be able to eat until I found out what was going to happen. But she wouldn't know what was going to happen until she stepped through the door. In the same way, I, I think sometimes, and, and I think there's other evidence of this as well in Scripture as well in life experience, that God will put something on your heart that you know that you need to do, but you won't have a con- confirmation of its success until you actually put yourself through the door. There's an opportunity that God is leaving open, and there's a calling and there's a sense that I need to pursue this, but you're not going to see the confirmation until you take the steps first. And so in regard to purpose, if you've been seeking and you've been thinking, and maybe you hadn't even put the specific name that I need to seek after my purpose, maybe there's a sense of that there should be more, and maybe I should try this. And I believe that God leads that way of saying, there is this door that is open and you need to step through it. The last way that we see, uh, and it's not the last, and there's probably more of this in Scripture, but these are the, at least the most obvious four, is we often discover our purpose when we have just this major God encounter. Uh, like, the, like Saul when he was on the road to persecute the Christians. And, and if you're a student of the New Testament, you know this, but there, there's a man named Saul who, he, he was a Pharisee, he was deva- a devout Jewish follower, and he had permission to go find people of the way, which is what they called early Christianity, the way, to go find them and have them arrested and hopefully put to death. I mean, he was so passionate about persecuting them, he would go city to city trying to find them and have them dragged off. And while he's on the way to do this, he had this crazy God encounter on the, on the road out there. It, it, Jesus blinded him with light and spoke to him and asked him, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? And it's, it's Jesus whom you persecute. And he was blinded. And it was this moment that he couldn't, he couldn't say it didn't happen. He couldn't fight against it. This was just reality. He, he actually went into the, the city blind and God sent Ananias to go and heal him. And, and it's interesting. I always like to note, because sometimes we forget this part of that passage, that when Ananias went to restore his sight through prayer, what he spoke to him, what, what, when Ananias was scared and speaking with God about it, and you know, this is Saul who's putting people to death, like, I don't want to go. And God said, I'm going to show Saul how much he must suffer for my namesake. I mean, Saul's life change was incredible, but it also included difficulty. But when you read his writings, you understand that it was all worth it. He, he said he, he'd consider all things rubbish 
in comparison to knowing Christ as Lord. So from the very beginning, Saul understood this road was going to be difficult, but it's going to be worth it. And I think that especially as adults, I mean, the majority of us in the room are adults here, that if we're sitting in church, I think that we're either on the verge of having a God encounter or there's been one that's set us here before. Sometimes we need the reminder of the God encounter, of just how real it was. I mean, during worship today, as we were singing, there there was just a part that struck my heart. Uh, As we were singing, by his stripes, we're healed. And the way that it's written in the song is interesting because, and, and theologically, it, it lines up that, you know, we, we are healed by, by the wounds that Jesus bore while he, he was being crucified and put to death for our sins. We were healed by those, but we are also being healed by those. And, and I, I want to make sure that you recognize that what Jesus did for you at that point where you said yes to him, when you had that encounter with God, it wasn't something that it's like you are healed once and now you sure better hold it together. But God is still at work in your life. That the healing and the love that you felt when you first said yes to God, it is still fully available to you. That power is still fully here, wanting to work in your life. But the thing that largely changes is our openness to seeing God at work in our life. And, and for me, and band, if you guys make your way up, I'm going to begin to wrap this thing up. For, for me, I remember as a 17-year-old driving home from church, I was at the intersection of Town Lake Parkway and Highway 5 in Woodstock, Georgia, where I had that, that it felt like that encounter. Now listen, I didn't get to see a blinding light. I didn't get to experience someone praying for me and restoring my sight that way. But it was this God encounter where I could not deny he was pressing a question and a decision into my heart that I had to respond to. And I I recognized right there that in answering the question of will I say yes to God or will I just continue through my life like nothing ever happened, that I wasn't, I wasn't just dealing with heaven and hell, like my life's purpose would end up changing. Because I can't, I can't receive all that my heavenly father has for me and continue in behaviors and customs that are driving me in a completely different direction. God calls you in first because he loves you Actually, no, let me say that differently. God calls you in because he loves you. And further proof that he loves you is that he has a purpose for you. And I believe 100% with all my heart that a sense of peace will be missing from your life until you step into that purpose. Not until you know it, until you step into it. Because some of you guys have known it, but you haven't approached it. You haven't lived in it. You haven't worked in it. And I believe that the calling he gives us, it isn't heavy, it isn't difficult. When put into comparison with the joy and the the fulfillment that we sense when we're living for our Heavenly Father. And so what happens as the passage describes the sequence, do not, be conf- do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you 
into a new person by changing the way that you think. In order for him to change the way that we think, we have to evaluate, we have to study, we have to take steps. But all of that, I think, is just hinged on that decision point. Where I'm going to move from how I've lived into what he's calling me to do now. So the self-evaluation encouragement that I want to give you guys today is, am I living in that purpose? Not knowing it, not just missing it, not being fulfilled by something that's counterfeit. Am I living in that purpose now? Because I want to tell you, when you find that purpose, you find a joy that your heart has been crying out for. And we see the church be what the church is supposed to be in the city when we are living after God's purpose. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love us enough to call us home, that you love us enough to give us a purpose and a mission. I thank you that we get to be part of seeing your message spread through this city. And Lord, where there has been barriers, where our busyness, where our stress where our past pain has been an obstacle for us to progress in our faith. Give us the courage to, to push through that, to, to overcome those obstacles, because we know what you have for us individually, what you have for us as a church, is so much greater than what we have seen this far. And we are excited to see your kingdom move in this place. In Jesus' name.